the word of our Lord from the epistle to the Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Therefore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, Strengthen the hands which are hanging down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that, that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure what was commanded. If so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to the God and judge of all, to the spirits 
of just men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. Minister by it into our lives and call us to complete and utter faithfulness to your son Jesus. Help us run with endurance the race before us. And at the end of our days, may we be welcomed by your gracious and holy word. Well done. Enter in. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Since 2002, a simple axiom has been burned into my memory. I heard so much put so simply and so well as that great philosopher of football, Coach Herm Edwards, passionately cleared the air in a New York Jets press conference. Some of you already know the next six words that will come out of my mouth. You play to win the game. Coach Edwards went on to say, you don't just play to play it. That's the great thing about sports. You play to win. I don't care if you don't have any wins. You play to win. When you start telling me it doesn't matter, then retire. Get out. Because it matters. This simple line, you play to win the game, speaks truth into so much more about life than just football Americana or even sports in general. Truly, the plain fact that you play to win the game 
can help us to better understand the goal of life itself, and especially the faith to which we are called in Christ. Sure, life is a journey, and sometimes the journey may even be better than the destination, but for those of us who have answered the call to join our Lord in faith and find our true rest in Him, the destination of life, the destination of our faith, is not fundamentally different than the journey itself. As C.S. Lewis noted rightly, eternity has a curious way of bleeding back over into temporal life. If, in the end, we end up in hell, all of life up to that end, as we look back upon it, will seem much like hell on earth. But if in the end we end up in heaven, all of life up to that end, as we look back upon it, will seem much like heaven on earth. You journey to get to the destination. You follow where Jesus leads. That's the reason we follow. That's the reason we journey to get there, to make it, to win in the end. I remember my pastor Steve Flick growing up. It was so good, David, to be able to reconnect with him for an extended period of time at this, what, this past men's retreat. And every time I see him, I think I remind him, you used to always ask me at the end of every single service I remember when he was my pastor at Riverside Independent Methodist in Jackson, Mississippi. He used to always ask me, are you on the winning team, Adam? He'd give me a good, solid handshake, pull me in real close, and he would ask me, are you on the winning team, Adam? Because every single week, Every single day, that question was as pertinent and as relevant as the first time I gave my life to Jesus. Are you on the winning team? Because if in the end you don't win, everything will have been a loss. You journey to get to the destination. You follow Jesus where He leads. The Scriptures give us a caveat. If you fall along the journey, or if you sin, the Apostle John put it. Not when, but if. Because words matter. Words express ideas And ideas have consequences. But if you fall, fall forward. Fall into Jesus. The epistle writer to the Hebrews tells us, pursue holiness. That means... Press into, lean into with all that you have the holiness of God. For without it, 
we will miss the mark. Without it, in the end, we will have failed and lost the only game that matters. He tells us that we are called to holiness. Called to reflect God. Called to serve as image bearers of Him. I came across a a few weeks ago as I was reading that book uh, I've mentioned a couple of times, I guess. Uncomfortable by Brett McCracken. I came across a a quote in there and I thought it was a beautiful, beautiful line and I I ran across it again this morning as I was looking at my phone uh, before coming to church. McCracken said, In today's world, holy is the most offensive of all four-letter words. It's far more acceptable to say, my life is so messed up than it is to say, I'm striving to be holy. The problem of the mentality that, oh, we're just going to fall, oh, we're just going to stumble, oh, we're just going to sin. And therefore, when we do, not if we do, is that we run into two potential dangers. I've been telling you for these last several weeks that we are surrounded by dangers. The journey is not safe. If you want safety, stay home. And keep the bills paid so the lights will stay on and the heat will stay on. It's starting to get cold. But the dangers that surround us, if we assume, oh, we can't help but fall, or we won't do nothing but fall, Or falling is just inevitable. After all, we're human. Is that we live a defeated and impotent Christian life on the one hand. I can't help but sin. Or we live a careless and reckless Christian life on the other hand. I don't want not to sin. I enjoy it too much. These two dangers to which we are tempted run afoul and off course of the journey toward Christ as He leads us. They run the risk for us of missing our destination. Pursue Holiness, for unto holiness you are called, for holiness you were made. And only with holiness will you one day see your maker and hear those words, well done. But if you fall, fall forward. No, you don't always win. But never settle for losing. You can't quit. There's no going back. What's back there, anyhow? 
We've come too far, the writer says. Too far to turn back now. We've not come to just Mount Sinai. We've come to the Mount of New Jerusalem. The mountain where God speaks to us from heaven and declares the love of His Son. And so we've come too far to turn back now. If we were to go back, is what we'd return to really worth it? There are two specific things that are referred to as a place of returning in the Scriptures that come to my mind. The first is Egypt. As the people of Israel had been led out of Egypt through the Exodus and the waters had been parted and manna had been provided and quail had been provided and God had provided miraculously water from a stone. You'll remember the Israelites frequently were found saying, oh boy, why in the world did the Lord lead us out here into the wilderness? It's dangerous out here. It's not comfortable out here. It's not what we expected out here. Is this really what we signed up for? Let's just go back to Egypt. Better off we were slaves in Egypt. At least then the food was better. But the Scriptures also talk about the dog returning to its vomit. What a horrible image. Those who draw back, those who forsake the God to whom they have been called and the God who has redeemed their souls, they are like dogs going back to their vomit for dinner. How disgusting. Last week we sang the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And if you love that hymn as much as I do, you'll remember that third verse which starts off, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But we don't have to wonder or leave. We can settle that matter right here, right now. The hymnist went on to say, Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Lord, I don't want to wander. I don't want to leave. I don't want to quit. I don't want to go back. Father, drag me across the finish line, kicking and screaming if you must. I don't want to miss heaven. Not just because I want to arrive at the party. Not just because I want the icing on the cake. But I don't want to miss you. I don't want to give up on this life and this faith 
to which you've called me. If there's not that hunger deep down in our bellies, then I'm afraid we have forgotten what the gospel is all about. Because it's not just about living forever when we die. It is about knowing the living and holy God. That is what the scriptures call us to. Not just eternity with Jesus. Eternity with Jesus is wonderful. It is going to be a celebration. But Jesus is the point. Not eternity. Jesus. Him. His heart. His love. His image. The Christian faith is not a sprint. It's not really even a marathon, to be honest. The writer tells us, let us run with endurance the race set out before us. But that race is not some short stint where we run with all of our might just to get to the finish line. Nor is it some lengthy race where we try to keep our pace down so that we can make it. In the end, it's not about crossing some destined out there finish line, but rather it's about the direction you're headed. How hard you're pressing toward that direction. And whether the love of the one who calls you is still burning in your heart and life. How you begin the game is of the utmost importance, but it's not everything. How you end is everything. Where you are when the game is called... And the whistle is blown. That's everything. Unfortunately, perhaps fortunately, we never know when the end for us will be. Whether the game of life or the race of faith will end for us by way of death or by way of Jesus' return. That's not for us to know. Therefore, what matters most ultimately is this very moment. We call it the present. The past behind us is but a shadow. The future before us remains like a mirage. But how we live right now what we choose in the innermost desires of our hearts at this point in time will determine our tomorrows and our home and the life that is to come. For right now, in this present moment, 
is the point of trajectory for the rest of our lives. Which direction will we go? Will we shy away from the upward calling? Will we regret the trouble and pain it's already cost us and refuse that which lies ahead? It's as though we've stumbled upon Robert Frost's two roads which are diverged in a yellow wood. Where shall we go? But a voice calls up from ahead. Onward. Upward. In Narnia, it was further up and further in. This is the way to life. This is the way to joy. This is the way to peace. This is the way to love. This is the way to the rest for which you were created. But along this path, on this journey, not only is there no going back, but there's also no going alone. Each and every one of us who trust in Jesus came to this faith by the way of someone else who was truly a gift of God's grace to us. No man comes to Christ alone. Each one of us is the benefactor of someone else's investment. Yes, of course, the Lord's investment, but to be sure, also the investment of others, His servants, His people, what the Scriptures call His saints or holy ones. In the book of Hebrews, verse 1 of chapter 12 serves as a large hinge on which the whole book turns. If you look back at Hebrews chapter 11, you'll remember that that is the chapter of faith. The phrase by faith is used several dozen times. And throughout chapter 11, the Hebrews writer is reminding us of all that have come before us. Those who have lived the victorious life of faith in God. And so reflecting upon all of these influences for faith in their lives, he then says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Since we are surrounded by so many eyes watching, so many stories being told. Since we are surrounded by these influences toward our good and toward our holiness, toward our pursuit of the God who is a consuming fire. Let us therefore run with endurance, for we have others. We have others who were before us in time, 
Those we remember or look back upon. Those saints of old. Those heroes of the faith. And we are surrounded by others. Those before us in space. Those we see and look to now. Those eyes that are watching. Those whom our eyes are watching. Because none of us comes to Jesus alone. None of us have been brought to Jesus alone and none of us can stand before Jesus alone without others that we've influenced. At least not and hear those words well done. The scriptures tell us to whom much is given, much is required. And you and I have been given much. You and I have it good. Think of the countless people who have invested in your life. Bring you to this point. Some of us can remember grandparents who prayed over us. I remember um, it was just a few days ago when the kids were saying the Lord's Prayer during their morning, uh, their morning family, what do they call it? the morning basket for school. They read scripture and pray prayers together and sing a hymn together. And the kids were saying the Lord's Prayer. And my mind went back to being, oh, I don't know how little, but my grandmother, my dad's mom, my Mimi, out on the balcony of a hotel room in Pensacola, Florida, teaching me the Lord's Prayer. I remember that as much as I remember seeing the blue angels there that week. Much has been given to us. Bill shared last week challenging us to invite others to come check us out. And he said each and every one of us has found a home here. We found family here. We found people that we're willing to sacrifice for. We found people that we love working alongside. We found a place that accepts us, that receives us, that challenges us, that is honest with us, that listens, that sharpens. And so the question then becomes, if to whom much is given, much is required, and much has been given to us, in whose life are we investing? 
I mean, really. Put more personally, to whom are you and I a gift of God's grace? Because it's easy to live an isolated Christian life where we think that we and our faith has nothing to do with others and their faith. But if that's how we live, I'm afraid that the Scriptures tell us that in the end, we'll have to give an account. Put more timely. Who have you invited to check us out next week? I know it's just another Sunday. It's just a time where we're inviting people to church and it may not seem like much. But you see, we like to make things abstract. And talk about reaching people. Making disciples. Changing the world. But in concrete terms, what person are you really and truly, in actuality, reaching? Who are you discipling? If not discipling yourself, who are you getting here so that together we might disciple them. Changing the world? Whose world are you changing? Whose world am I changing? Because God has put others in our lives so that we might together pursue holiness. And He's put us in the lives of others so that they might be welcomed along for the journey. Who's that neighbor that keeps coming to your mind thinking, I know they don't go to church and I really would like to invite them, but man, it's so tough. If you um, if you leave this week without any of these in your hands, you're missing an opportunity. And if you leave here this week with some of these in your hands, and you've still got them in your hands, or maybe in the dustbin next Sunday you've also missed an opportunity. An easy opportunity to invite someone and an easy opportunity to say, Lord, I might be a bit embarrassed, but I'm a grown adult. I can do this. Lord, I don't want your grace to end with me. What coworker? Are you aware of whose life is spinning out of control or maybe just hasn't seemed himself for a while? Some of us are on first name basis with waitresses and waiters because we see them all the time. 
and we talk about everything else. See, our church is doing a remarkable amount of work. Good work. Good work in our community, good work for others, and good work for one another. But imagine the exponential amount of an effect of that work if we were all, all in. But truly, there's no other way to be but all in. For in the end, we will either be all in or we will not be in at all. In the judgment, God will search our hearts, yes. But what He'll be looking for is whether or not we are really and truly His in our hearts, the very core of our being. Are we really and truly, completely and entirely His? Not just partly, not even mostly, but are we simply and wholly His? There's no going back. There's nothing to return to. And there's no going alone. We can't and we won't make it alone. Let's pray.